We ask that you would bless this time in the study of your word. We ask that you would just open up our ears, especially at this time when in the middle of the week and we can um, be tired and, and had a long day. I pray that we would be attentive and, Lord, that our hearts would be stirred right now as well because we know that um, just as you were working with Joshua and the children of Israel, that you desire to, to do a marvelous work today. And we can see that in Scripture, that you have proclaimed that. So, Father, bless this time. Help us to learn and, Lord, make application. And, Father, to leave this place being edified and encouraged. And, Lord, I pray that more than anything, that we would just be more in love with Jesus than when we came in. So we give you this time in the study of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. We do read in Joshua chapter 9 that it came to pass when all the kings who were on this side of the Jordan in the hills and in the lowland and in the coast of the great sea towards Lebanon, the Hittites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Parasites and the Hivites and the Jebusites heard about it, that they gathered together to fight with Joshua and Israel with one accord. And of course, this is where we left off last week. And what we are seeing as we've been going through uh, the book of Joshua is they have crossed the Jordan River. They are coming into the land that God has given to them. It was promised to Abraham that Abraham, uh, as he would come into the land of Canaan, it was the Canaanites that were in that area. That's why it was called the land of Canaan, that I'm going to give it to you and to your descendants, and you're going to be a great nation, Abraham. And that promise would go from Abraham to Isaac and then to Jacob. And Jacob, matter of fact, he would have that promise reiterated to him there in the book of Genesis when he was at Bethel. Now, you recall last week when the children of Israel, after they defeated Jericho, they went up to that area Ai, and also nearby was Bethel, and there they had great victory. And so Bethel was the place where Jacob had that dream of that ladder, and angels were ascending and descending from heaven. And it was Jacob that knew that, as the Lord spoke to him, that God is in this place. That's why he called it Bethel. It means the house of God. It is interesting that later on in their history that Bethel became a place of idol worship. It was a place where a temple was built dedicated to a golden calf. And so here was this victory that they had with Bethel. It was a, a, a great victory against Ai, against that area. They're going to continue to have conquests, and then they're going to divide up the land. But we see here that once they've had victory over Jericho, and once they had victory over uh, Ai and Bethel, we see that the Canaanite kings joined forces to come against Israel. And as we ended last week, that we saw that um, and talked about very briefly before we ended, that we see that same thing today. Now, I think that this is very relevant to what we are seeing today in a couple ways. Number one, you and I need to remember that as Christians, that the world is going to come together, band together to come against you and I. And sometimes Christians, they can be misled in thinking that when they become a Christian, that's a kind of a cool thing or the world's going to, to think it's cool or accepting, and they will soon find out that the world will end up hating them. You'll find out your friends will turn against you, your family will come down on you, and that the world is not going to applaud you when you become a Christian. And Jesus said that if you're my disciple, that the world's going to hate you because it first hated me. And so we know that the world will come against us. And it's interesting that there are individuals and there are groups that will band together and come together to fight against Christians, to come against those who are living for Jesus Christ. And I think that we're going to see that more and more, especially we get closer 
to the return of the Lord. I think that there's going to be more resistance against Christians and there's going to be more of uh, a coming against those who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. But also we see this with the children of Israel as these Canaanite kings know that there's no way that we can have victory. We've seen and we know and we've heard about uh, what God has done with the Egyptians and with those two kings on the east side of the Jordan River. So we got to band together if we want to have any chance of any kind of victory. But I think that as we read this, this is very relevant to what we are seeing today. Because what we are seeing today is, I believe, seeing Israel, we're seeing the Jewish people that are being isolated more and more today by the other nations. And I think that we've seen some very significant things happen in the last couple weeks that are just, again, reaffirming and and, uh, and are uh, pointing to um, that the Lord is going to be coming back very soon. It is confirming, that is, to us that we are indeed in the last days. And I hope that as you go through the Old Testament, just as, as you do in your devotions or as you're coming out here on Wednesday nights to Calvary Chapel, as we're going through all of this, that you're really seeing how significant it is how God has worked with the children of Israel and the promises that he gave to them and that we see that God still has a plan for them today. We are seeing that the nations of the world more and more are isolating Israel and so um, banding together. And we know that the prophecies of Zechariah and in the Old Testament says that Jerusalem will become a cup of trembling for all the nations. We know that the nations of the world will come against Israel and isolate Israel as well. And then the Lord has a plan for the nation, and that is to come back to rescue Israel there in the final days of the tribulation period when the battle of Armageddon is going on just north of Jerusalem, when the armies of the world come together in Jerusalem, as Zechariah says, half of it falls into captivity. We know Joel chapter 2, as they have a national fast, as they cry out to the Lord that the Lord will come and rescue them. I think it is very significant what we have seen in the events that have happened uh, in Israel in this last week, as we've seen our own government condemn Israel um, in these last few days, and it's made the headlines, hasn't it? If any of you have been reading the news, you have seen that. We know that as we go through these books of the history of, of, of the Old Testament, that God, as we saw in the book of Deuteronomy, that Moses giving the law to the children of Israel, he says, if you follow after me, I'm going to bless you. If you forsake me and go after those idols, then you're going to go off into captivity. And don't you remember that it was in Deuteronomy chapter 31 that the Lord told Moses, and I know it had to break Moses' heart, that that day is going to come where they're going to turn against me and they're going to go after other gods and they're going to go off into captivity. So Moses, you need to tell them and you need to have them learn this song and that song of, of Deuteronomy chapter 32 talking about the time that they would go off into captivity, but the Lord didn't leave them without any hope. He would also speak of a time when they would come and they would experience the fullness of the blessing and the promises that he has has for them, that he's given to them here in the Old Testament. We know in their history that shortly after the reign of Solomon, matter of fact, his son Rehoboam, who was reigning there in Israel, the nation was united. And then Rehoboam, because of some of the decisions that he made, it was the 10 northern tribes that would break off and be known as the House of Israel. Now, you guys may be sitting there going, yes, we know that. We know the history. We've been going through it on Wednesday nights. 
But understand this, a lot of Christians don't know that. And a lot of Christians that aren't familiar with the Old Testament, they read the house of Israel, they read the house of Judah, and they get very confused by that. So we know that it would be the ten northern tribes that would make up what was called the nation, or that is the house of Israel, the two southern tribes, Benjamin and Judah. And what we're going to see here, we're not going to see it tonight, but we're going to see it in a few short weeks. Because after we get past chapter 10, we're going to see the land being divided up. We're going to see their conquest. And it's going to go very quickly, much more quickly than what we're going to cover here tonight in just chapter 9. But we're going to see that the land is going to be divided up in the different allotments given to the different tribes. And down south, we're going to see that the boundaries of Judah are large. They will go from the Dead Sea clear over to the Mediterranean Sea. That was all given to the tribe of Judah and also the tribe of Benjamin. So those two tribes would make up what was called the nation of Judah. So when you go through the Old Testament, you'll see that Judah's addressed at times. You'll see that the house of Israel is addressed at times. We know that when the house of Israel was established after the reign of of Rehoboam, that their first king, called King Jeroboam, he was one that plunged the nation deep into idol worship. None of the kings of the house of Israel were good kings. They set up a golden calf, a temple to the golden calf, up there in Dan, and then in Bethel, as I mentioned to you. And they would end up going off into captivity by the Assyrians. The Assyrians, the powerhouse there of the known world in 722 B.C., came down took off, first of all, those tribes that we have seen that are settled on the east side of the Jordan River, that they would go off first, and then the ten northern tribes would go off. It would be the Assyrians and their armies that would surround Jerusalem. It looked like that Judah was going to fall into the hands of the Assyrians, but we know from the book of Isaiah that in those chapters that it was uh, an angel that came as Hezekiah and the leadership there in Jerusalem. They sought God, they prayed to God, they fasted, and as Shennacherib, the king of the Assyrians, was giving threats there to Hezekiah and to Jerusalem, and nobody's been able to stop us, and who is this God of yours that you think is going to be able to stop us? None of the other nations and gods were able to stop us, and so they found out very quickly, because one night an angel came and wiped out 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. So that would be the decline of the Assyrian Empire at that time. It would be shortly after that, as the prophecies were given to Hezekiah, that Hezekiah, the day is going to come when there's going to be a faraway province that is called Babylon that's going to come and take your men away captive and your young men into captivity and also take away the treasuries of the temple. Well, that would happen about 110 years later in 605 B.C. when we see that Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire would come in. The armies came in. They would seize Jerusalem. They would take the temple treasuries out of the temple in Jerusalem. They would take some of the choice men of Judah away in the captivity as well. Daniel was one of those. We know that there was a second wave of captivity in 597 B.C., and that was who? That was Ezekiel. And so Ezekiel would go off into captivity, and so he would be a part of that. 
So what you have is you have Daniel that's there in the inner courts of, of Babylon as he is administrating there with Nebuchadnezzar. He's prophesying. You have Ezekiel who's up north in the north part of that region of Babylon. He is prophesying at that time. And then you have who else? Jeremiah. He's back in Jerusalem and he's prophesying to those kings and he's saying to them, listen, don't rebel against Nebuchadnezzar and against Babylon because it's going to be bad news. Well, the last king of, of Judah ended up rebelling. So in 586 B.C., what happened was Nebuchadnezzar came in and destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple. So Judah would go off in their 70 years of captivity, and eventually they would come back. Only a small number would come back under the reign of, of Zerubbabel, who came back and he rebuilt the temple. Joshua, the high priest, then you have Ezra, and we know that it would be Nehemiah that eventually would come back as well. Nehemiah did what? Built the walls around Jerusalem as well. But most of the people stayed off in that area of Persia. You see, during their captivity, Babylon would fall to the Medes and the Persians. So in 605 B.C., we see that Jerusalem and, and that area of Judah would fall into the hands of an oppressor, of, of a foreign power. And actually, they would stay in suppression to a foreign power all the way up until 1948 for 2,500 years. Because after the Babylonians, the Medes and the Persians, then it was the Greeks, and then it was the Romans during the days of Jesus. And then Jesus spoke of a time where, again, the temple would be destroyed, and it was in 70 AD. And the Romans came in and destroyed Jerusalem, and then the Jews were dispersed among the nations. We know that the prophets of old in the Old Testament spoke of that time, but then again, God didn't leave them without any hope. He spoke that time when they would come back into the land once again. We see that prophesied, Ezekiel's 36 and 37, those two chapters. Other places that we see in the Old Testament that they would come back into the land. Amos talks about how they would come back into the land. And Amos speaks of when they come back in the land, they're not going to be plucked out again. So Paul would write in Romans chapter 11 as he was writing about his countrymen that he would say to them 2,000 years ago, as God threw with his with his people, Israel. And he said, certainly not. And Paul would explain to us that God still has a plan for them, that blindness will come to them until the fullness of the Gentiles have come. And then in that day, all of Israel will be saved. What day is that? We know that the Lord has got a plan for Israel. The Lord's got a plan for the church as well. And we know that Israel will go through that difficult time, the tribulation period, and that time that's called Jacob's trouble. And in that time, towards the end of the tribulation period, that their eyes are going to be opened and they're going to recognize that Jesus was truly their Mashiach, their Messiah. And it's in that day that all Israel will be saved. It's at that time that the Lord will come back. He will destroy those armies that have come against Israel and against Jerusalem, and he will establish his kingdom, and the restoration of Israel will take place. But we see that God has been working, and when the Roman armies, led by Titus, came in in 70 AD, what happened was they were dispersed for 2,000 years. And all of a sudden, in 1948, Israel, we see the fig tree that blossomed once again. And Jesus said, when you see that a tree begins to shoot forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. That when you see the fig tree that has budded, then you know that my coming is very, very near. 
So we know that when Israel became a nation once again, that not only was that significant prophetically, and I think it's absolutely amazing. You see, when I was first looking at the Bible and, and wondering, is the Bible really true? One of the things that fascinated me and really touched my heart is that these prophecies that God has spoken of thousands of years ago, that actually we're seeing them come to pass. And that a, a nation here, a group of people, that have been out of their homeland for 2,000 years and then all of a sudden became a nation once again. As Isaiah in chapter 66 said, can a, a nation uh, be uh, born in one day? It was literally on May 14, 1948 is when Israel became a nation, when Ben-Gurion declared independence. And see, what happened was that after World War II, that after we liberated Europe and, and found the truth about the, what was taking place in the concentration camps, and six million Jews were um, put to death, that all of a sudden there was uh, the, the world that was saying, listen, we got to do something. We got to give them some kind of homeland. So there was the League of Nations. They were like the United Nations. That's what it was called before. It was later on called the United Nations. But the League of Nations at that time uh, and, and the Britons, um, the British Empire had ruled over that area, they came up with a plan that what we'll do is, as the Jews were coming from Europe, they were coming in boats, they were get, coming to Israel to their own homeland. They were saying, well, maybe we need to give them a homeland there in northern Africa. They were even talking about a place in South America. But God had different plans because God gave a promise to them. And so they came up with a plan. What we're going to do there in um, that area that is called Palestine uh, or whatever it is that they were calling at that time, half of it is going to be the nation of Israel. Part of it is going to be given and called the state of, of Palestine. And so the Jews said, yes, we will accept that. The Palestinians said, no, we will not accept that. And we got help from our Arab nations and that we will push the Jews in the sea if they desire to declare independence. Well, they did. And even as Ben-Gurion on May 14, 1948, was declaring independence, that it was those Arab nations that banded together, just as we see here in Joshua chapter 9. And they banded together with overwhelming forces, with tanks and uh, their troops that uh, were coming against Israel. Matter of fact, you can hear the bombs dropping even as Ben-Gurion was making the announcement. Israel at that time didn't have an organized army, but yet God would intervene on their behalf and that they would be able to hold off those attacking forces of those nations surrounding them, even though they were uh, greatly outnumbered and outgunned. We know that at that time, they would advance and go into Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem was divided at that time into half. And so you can, when, if we go to Israel next year, when we go into Jerusalem, we'll show you what's called the Green Line. And on the west side of Jerusalem, that was called Israel before 1967. Then on the east side, that belonged to Jordan. That was the nation of Jordan. And East Jerusalem... And, and I got a purpose for bringing all of this and what we're seeing today and how we're tying it in with Joshua chapter 9. But East Jerusalem, that's where the holy sites was. That's where the Temple Mount is. That's where Solomon's temple stood. That's where Herod's temple or Zerubbabel's temple, the second temple stood at that time. The western wall is that you see, and we've talked about those things. And so that all belonged to Jordan, all the way over to the Jordan River and into Jordan. It was called the West Bank as well. 
And so that's where the line was. Well, uh, prior to 1967, that's, uh, we see the boundaries there. But then the Six-Day War would break out. And again, God would give favor to the uh, armies of Israel as they would go down into Sinai, defeat the Egyptian armies up in the Golan Heights, which is up above the Sea of Galilee, take the Golan Heights. And they would also, for the very first time, which I think is almost even more significant. Well, it isn't more significant, but as significant as them become a nation. They ruled over Jerusalem. Sovereignly ruling over Jerusalem for the first time in 2,500 years. As they took East Jerusalem and the Israeli flag was flying over the Temple Mount area. Well, eventually what happened is there was a compromise. They let the, the Muslims administrate the, the Temple Mount area but ever since then, that's what all the, the contention has been about, is they say those are occupied lands. And so that's what the whole peace process has been about in all of this over these last years. There was the Young Kippur War or the Young Kippur War in 1973, where again the forces of Syria, Lebanon, Jordan, and Egypt came with a full force against Israel, a full attack. And um, matter of fact, that, that the Syrians up north broke through the lines. The Egyptians broke through the line down to the south. They were coming into Israel, and Israel was going to the Samson option, and that was they were going to pull out their nukes. And if you ever go and talk to, it was interesting, I was with Pastor Chuck in NORAD, and uh, we were taking a tour of NORAD in Cheyenne Mountain, and that's where they keep track of all the uh, satellites and, and if there's a missile, incoming missiles or anything like that coming in. And um, they have a table there where all the generals would be sitting at if there was a, a world crisis or a national crisis so they could look at the screens and see the threat. And, and they opened up a, a drawer, and there was a phone there, and it's a direct phone to the President of the United States, and it was very fascinating to see that. That table had been uncovered twice in its history. They've dismantled all that in Cheyenne Mountain. They got it somewhere else now. But um, at that time that we were there in the 1990s, um, and I was with Pastor Chuck, they had uncovered that table twice during the um, Cuban Missile Crisis and the Yom Kippur War in Israel. And see, what happened was when the Syrian forces were coming from the south and the Egyptian forces were coming from the north, actually they were confused. They couldn't figure out why they broke through the lines so quickly and so easily. And we see God working where they actually stop for two hours. And this is all documented, and you can see, read about it and stuff. The forces down south and, and up north, they stopped for a couple hours. That allowed Israel to get its forces together and stuff. And you, you hear David-type heroics, heroics that happened and bravery and, and all of this that took place during that time. But what, at that time, Israel went to a plan where it was believed, and Israel's never, never confirmed that they have nuclear weapons, but they believed that they were going to go to that Samson option, and they said, you know what, if we're going to go, we're going to take everybody out with us. Just less the story of Samson. So what happened was the Russians called President Nixon and said, either put an end to it or we're going to put an end to it. So it was very, very serious at that time. So ever since then, there's been the debate and, and what do we do with the Palestinians and, and, and the peace process. What has happened over the last week um, has been very significant. Now, when it comes to our nation, I believe that there's two reasons 
why God has blessed this nation. Number one is this nation was founded upon um, godly principles by men who loved the Lord. That's no mistake about that. They were men that feared God. They were men that came. They desired to worship God in freedom. And uh, it shows in the remarks and the comments and the writings of our forefathers that this was, was to be a Christian nation, and it has been a Christian nation, and it's been a nation that has looked to God. God has blessed this nation because of that. God has used this nation in a mighty way to be a blessing to the world. But as you know, my concern, as well as your concern, has been the direction of this nation in the last couple of generations. That we are getting more and more away from God. And it was declared by our own president a year ago that we are no longer a Christian nation. And when I read that, it just really, something in my heart, deep in my heart, just kind of sunk. Because I think that a lot of people are beginning to really believe and say that we're not a Christian nation. We have Christians here, and we need to continue to pray. But we are a nation that, that no longer wants to turn to God, recognize God, and trying to get God out of our nation. Um, we see that there's more uh, hostility and uh, attitude towards Christians. I, I pulled this up on Monday. This is amazing to me. And this was from Fox News. It says, Church Fights Back After Arizona Town Bans Home Bible Study. From Gilbert, Arizona. And the National Alliance Defense Fund says a town code that bars religious assemblies and private homes in the Arizona community of Gilbert is unconstitutional. The Oasis of Truth Church began meeting at Pastor Joe Sutherland's house in November and rotated home several times a week for Bible study and fellowship. A Gilbert Code compliance officer hit the church with a violation notice after seeing a sign near a road advertising a Sunday service. A zoning administrator told the church that Bible studies, church leadership meetings, fellowship activities are not permitted in private homes. And this is not the only town that I've heard that this has happened. There was an incident that I heard that this happened from a home fellowship in San Diego out of Mike McIntosh's church that they were looking at passing an ordinance that no Bible studies in the homes. Now, can you imagine that? And the reason why it struck me so deeply is because this church started as a home fellowship. Can you imagine them coming and saying to Jerry and Sandy, you cannot have a koinonia home fellowship in your home? But that's what we're seeing more and more that has taken place in our nation. And that's the attitude and the hostility that we as Christians, I believe, are going to see more and more of that as we get closer to the return of the Lord. And so I believe that the Lord has blessed this nation because that we are a nation that, that trusted in God and looked to God. But more and more, we're pushing them away. There's a decline spiritually. There's a decline, decline morally in our nation and getting further away from the Lord. But I believe the second reason why the Lord has blessed this nation so much is because we have been a friend to Israel. And you remember that it was Abraham that was told, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And that's still true today. And we have been one of the few nations that have stood next to Israel and have uh, been an ally and a friend of Israel during all these years. Well, this brings me to my point after half an hour. But the thing is, you've read in the news today, and that's why I say it's significant, that all of a sudden there's a crisis in, in uh, our diplomatic relationships with Israel. And what happened was, is that a week ago, as our vice president came into Jerusalem 
to help try to, to jumpstart the, the peace process and get them talking between the Israelis and the Palestinians, the announcement came out that there was going to be a building of 1,600 homes in East Jerusalem. And, and so it was very much um, something that upset the present administration. And so now they're saying that we are facing the worst crisis with our relationships with Israel in 35 years. And what is being said that as uh, our Secretary of State called up the Prime Minister of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu, and said what you did was insulting, and our administration is very upset about it, and um, there seems to be very much attention that is taking place um, right now with our relationship with Israel. And the, here's the thing about it, um, is that all of a sudden now we're seeing this, this, um, this condemning of Israel, a public condemning and denouncing Israel. And you guys know that I don't talk politics hardly ever at all because I teach the Bible. But that concerns me. Because God's word is true, that I will bless those who bless you, I will curse those who curse you. And all of a sudden we see an administration and a leadership, and we see a president that seems to show more favor towards the Muslims nations. Matter of fact, we're on an eve where he's leaving to go to the largest, most populous Muslim nation in the whole world. But yet there's this condemning of their building of these homes in Jerusalem, when they've been doing it for 62 years, or since 1967, I should say. And it is interesting, if you do research, that no prime minister of Israel has ever restricted building in East Jerusalem ever since 1967, when they took East Jerusalem. They consider it their capital. So to send that message of public condemning and, and denouncing Israel for that, and saying that our ties are, are very much strained right now and in crisis, what that does is it sends a message to the enemies of Israel that, hey, that maybe we can stir things up. And what fascinates me about this, here is this condemning of Israel publicly, but two weeks ago we have the president of Iran, Ahmadinejad, meeting with the president of Syria, Assad, along with the head of the Hezbollah, that is that terrorist group in southern Lebanon that a few years ago was launching many, many missiles into the cities of Israel. Getting together and saying Israel is a cancer to the world. Israel is done and through. If Israel tries to do anything, that we're going to destroy its cities. But nothing said against that. So we need to pray. And all of a sudden now we see violence breaking out in Jerusalem because the Palestinians... I think, are jumping on that. Hey, all of a sudden, diplomatic ties are, are strained right now, and we know uh, that we can take advantage of that. And so they call for a day of rage yesterday, and violence broke out all over East Jerusalem. They're calling for a third intifada. Now, what happens, I don't know. But we need to pray for our president and for our leadership. We need to pray for our nation because we are headed in a direction in a lot of different ways, spiritually, morally, um, you remember when the Lord was giving the blessings and the cursings there in Israel? And you can look at the house of Judah and the condition of Judah right before they went into captivity and, and judgment was brought to them. And I do not believe in Scripture that we're Judah and all of this. God has a plan for Israel. 
And Israel is Israel. But the thing is, is that we can learn that what happens to the nation when they turn their back on the Lord. And those who have no knowledge perish, as the book of, of Hosea tells us. And so we need to be praying, and we need to be praying for our administration and praying for a president that, um, that um, wise choices would be made and, um, and that God's promise we know is true. We know that the time is going to come. And, and here's Newsweek came out with an article. I want to read this to you just very quickly. Um, it says this article that came out, A Rotten Deal. Israel didn't just spit in Joe Biden's face last week. It jeopardized Americans' willingness to protect it from Iran. An article reads this, Vice President Joe Biden's visit to Israel last week was widely hailed as a catastrophe, not because of settlements after a tense year in which Washington had failed to stop Prime Minister Benjamin Bibi Netanyahu from settling more occupied land. Biden had come to shore up the relationship. Instead, officials in Netanyahu's government caught both men off guard by announcing plans to build more in contested East Jerusalem. Now, Netanyahu's office has publicly apologized for making that announcement when Joe Biden was there, our vice president. But then this tension continues to grow. True, it was a snafu, the article reads, but the real disaster, and listen to this, was what it may cost Israel. Biden had come to offer not just friendship, but support and protection against Iran, Israel's greatest boogeyman. In exchange for a few concessions from Netanyahu, Instead, he got a finger in the eye. So what they're saying is, and I don't know if this article, this, whoever's writing this, this is the opinion of just Newsweek, or this is the mindset of our administration, but to protect Israel and, and we, a willingness to, to not do that against Iran, I'm not convinced of that yet, but I pray that that isn't true. But think about it, folks, how ignorant for us to say that. Because Israel doesn't need us to protect them, right? Who's going to protect them? It's going to be the Lord. And the Lord has made that very clear. And then the Lord said that they will know that I am the Lord. So the Lord's going to defend Israel. What we need to do is humble ourselves, and we need to worry about the Lord and come to the Lord and say, Lord, we need to humble ourselves and recognize you, and we need you as a nation. You have blessed this nation. So tonight I know, well, two verses we got tonight and stuff. <laughs> but I think it's very significant that we watch these things and we are to be wise and we are to be watching and we're going to see Israel more isolated. We're going to see Israel more isolated in the last days. Um, they will become a cup of trembling. We will see that it will become the epicenter of end-time prophecy as just as it is today. And we need to pray for our nation. We need to pray for our leadership and remember that we have an election year coming up we just had the caucuses and that's what i want to remind you guys and this is a good time to be reminded of that as we're going through joshua here we see and what's interesting is that god has given them this land they conquered the land and we know that god has given them promises and he's going to keep those promises given to them and he will bless those who bless them he will curse those who curse them and we need to watch them. And you and I, it may be that it's the Christians, as the Christians band together and, and becomes a friend to Israel, that they may be the only friends that I have left by the time it's all said and done. So we want to be in prayer, and we want to continue to pray 
um, for the situation and for our own country. I, I am very concerned. And again, if you're just visiting with us, you think, what is this? He talks politics all the time. I never, ever talk politics. You guys that have been here a long time know, open our Bibles, we go through the Bibles, and we talk. And we talk about those things, what's relevant today, that points to the soon return of Jesus Christ, because I think we need to be wise and discerning in the days in which we're living, don't we? We're told to be. We're commanded to be. And I think that we're just seeing more and more things coming, the pieces of the puzzle coming together. And the tensions are flaring. And we have those, the enemies of Israel, that are gaining more confidence all the time. And it's a powder, you know, powder keg ready to go off. And there are going to be those major wars of, of perhaps Psalm 83 to Ezekiel 38 and 39 that have not been fulfilled. And then also the end of the tribulation period the battle of Armageddon. I don't plan on being here because I believe that God's plan for the church is he's going to rapture us out before the tribulation period begins. So when you begin to see these things come to pass, look up and rejoice for your redemption draws near. Guys, this is not a time for you individually, for this church to just kick it in cruise control or get complacent. And that is one of my concerns that we can very easily do that. You know, God's been good to us here at Calvary Chapel Greeley. He really has. And there's love in this church, and we're a family. But we need to remind each other, the Lord's not through with us. I think he's just begun with us. And I think he wants to do so much with us as we are looking and watching and waiting, as we know that we are to be a light in this community, in our neighborhoods, at the workplace, that we know that the Lord is coming back. And I think that there are people that are still looking for truth and desiring to know truth and to be established in truth. And we can be a blessing to them and minister to them. And I think that we're going to see some things that, that perhaps I pray that there's revival in this land. I, I pray that things get better, but I get concerned when I see the road that we're going down, the debt that we're in. You remember that in the cursings that the Lord said, that, you know what, you're going to be in slavery to other nations because you're going to be in debt to them. He said in the blessings that you're not going to be, you know, taken from other, alone from other nations. You're going to be a lender. In a little over a generation, we've gone from the greatest lending nation to the greatest debtor nation, and our debt now is almost $13 trillion. That's the national debt. Our liability debt, because we borrow from Social Security and everything, is more like $50 trillion. And it's, a, it's almost like a train that's just barreling down and the bridge is out. And how people are warning, this has got to stop. We can't continue this way. But nobody in leadership has stood up and been strong enough to say, it's got to stop now, this spending that we're doing. It's reckless. And the bridge is out. And instead of putting on the brakes, they're going full steam. And we can't sustain that. And economist after economist after economist is saying, you're going to see hyperinflation here. And if it continues to go, you're going to see the United States is going to just become another banana state. And it's because of the reckless decisions that are being made, because we are turning away from God. It's going to affect us and to our children. That's why we need to pray. And we need to be ones that are talking to our children. And we need to be ones that 
are, you know, constantly just being wise and discerning in the days in which we're living in. And I hope that we are. And that's why I wanted to cover this. I was hoping to finish chapter 9 tonight, but we'll finish it next week if the Lord doesn't come back. we got plenty of time to cover the book of Joshua. So we'll get through it and stuff, but be praying, be praying. Um, you know, uh, it's, it's interesting, and uh, it grieves me because I still believe we're the greatest nation in the world. But I also know with, you know, knowledge and where we've been and how we've been blessed, there's responsibility. And I know if we keep going the direction that we're going and pushing God out of the way, I believe that the church at large is in crisis in our nation as well. That is also one of the signs that we see that we're getting closer to the return of the Lord. We need to be faithful and standing on truth because there are going to be those that are going to come along and say, you can't meet in homes, and they're going to try to get you and I to compromise on the truth of God's word in the gospel. Folks, let's encourage each other. Let us band together, okay? Let us band together as a church and as a body of believers. And let's really be praying and encouraging each other and lifting each other up. Be bringing people. Be praying about who you might bring to church. People need to hear the gospel. They need to get saved. They need to, to be ones that, that they have a message of hope given to them. Just as Paul, as we've seen on Sunday morning to the Corinthian church, he said, I came preaching nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Because that is our hope. Just as the hope for the children of Israel here was the Lord, he said, I'm going to give you victory. He's given you and I victory, hasn't he? Through Jesus Christ, who died on Calvary's cross. So you be praying about who you minister to, who you bring to come hear God's word. Let's just don't, you know, get into the rut and routines and all of this that all of us can, including myself. But Lord, use me in these days in which we're in. Because the fig tree is budded. And we're seeing these things. It shouldn't surprise us to see these things come to pass. It just confirms that your coming is very nigh. And Lord, come quickly. It can be one of the hardest times for us to be living. It can be one of the also the exciting times for us to be living. We could be living. Listen, we could be. We very well could be. I don't know for sure. I don't know the day that the Lord comes back, but we could be. Could we be the generation that we see the return of the Lord and the rapture of the church? We very well could be. And I hear amen, and I second that, man. If the Lord wanted to come back tonight, that'd be just fine with me. But the Lord can come back at any time. So let's, every day that we have, occupy till he comes and be living for him and keep priority the things of the Lord. And may we look at this lost world and say, you know what? Your hope is alone is in Jesus Christ. He's the one that came and died for you. So, Father, we thank you for this time. And, Lord, we just ask that you would just um, take us home and we would be just renewed and excited about the days in which we're living, and, Lord, that we wouldn't put, be putting our trust in the world. And Lord, that we would be putting our trust in you. And just as David wrote in the Psalms, some trust in horses and some in chariots, but we will trust in the name of the Lord. The Lord, you're the one that's given us victory through the cross of Jesus Christ. And, Father, I pray that we would live in that victorious life as we move out in faith. 
Lord, I pray that you would use, as you said, you'd chosen the foolish and weak things of the world to confound the strong and put down the wise. And the things that are not, to bring the not, the things that are, that no man shall glory in your presence. I pray that you would use us, this little church, Lord, Calvary Chapel Greeley, to be a light, a city on a hill to this community. And Lord, our hearts would be stirred to have a passion for you and compassion for the lost. And Lord, that you would just bless um, us, Lord, that we would just put aside those things that distract us and, and cause us to be pulled in and sucked into the pleasures of the world, the things of the world that really don't matter. Lord, I know that we have jobs, we have things that we do and are involved in, but Lord, I pray, I pray we would never lose perspective, that we keep our eyes focused on you, put our hand to the plow and not look back. And, Lord, that we would be ones that, you know what, Lord, you have things for me to do and people to minister to because you're coming back. And we would be living in a day where we are wise and discerning. And, Lord, that um, we wouldn't grow sleepy spiritually. We're children of the light, not of the darkness. We're children of the day, not of the night, as Paul would write. So we should be watchful and sober and vigilant. Lord, we thank you that in the day in which we're living, that, Lord, that we can take these words of wisdom and be discerning and wise. Lord, we do pray for our nation. We thank you for the way you've blessed this nation. I thank you for the many Christians that are in this nation. And, Lord, we know there's a battle going on for the soul of this nation. And, Lord, I pray that there be revival that would sweep through, not just weirdness, that we see so much in the church, but real revival, people humbling their hearts, coming to you, looking to the word of God to be true. Lord, that the message of the cross would be preached without any compromise. And Lord, that people's lives would be changed as they surrender their hearts to you, that there'd be a turning away from the darkness and the evil and the pleasures of the world, because we know that all that's going to be judged. And all that's going to come to an end. And Lord, I pray for this nation, from our president down to our leadership, that, Lord, there would be revival. There would be a turning to you. Lord, we just lift them up. We are commanded to pray for them. And we do that tonight. And Lord, I pray that uh, we would be a nation, that we would recognize and realize our need for you, particularly with the challenges and the difficulties that we face. We know that that is our hope right now. Lord, remaining strong. It isn't through our own wisdom and plans and programs and all of this. It's only through a nation that turns to you and surrenders our hearts to you. Father, I pray that you would help us to be strong in the days in which we're living, in these difficult times and perilous times. Strong for you. Again, bless everyone here tonight. Lord, I pray that we would go away just being encouraged but yet, it would be a sober message to not to get complacent. So, Lord, thank you for your grace and your mercy and your love for us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.